the book of John chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 1. John chapter 1, verse number 1. This is the first Sunday of Advent. The church worldwide starts the celebration of Christmas. So we are going to look at the Christmas story and uh, as we open our hearts up. John chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into this world. He was in this world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of his fullness we have all received the grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. This morning I just want to preach on the thought, I'm coming home for Christmas. I'm coming home for Christmas. Look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I'm coming home for Christmas. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come to You in the name of Jesus the Lord. We thank You for this opportunity that we have to open Your Word and to learn Your Word today. We pray that everything that's said and everything that's done would bring You the glory and everyone said a great big Amen. There's an old Christmas carol that says it's the most wonderful time of the year. You ever thought about that song? It's the most wonderful time of the year? Now I wasn't. I'm, you know, I'm fairly young, but wasn't born last night. And the last time I checked, it's probably not the most wonderful time of the year. That song doesn't say anything about it's the most depressed time of the year. But according to statistics, during the Christmas season, it is the most suicidal rate all throughout the whole year. During Christmas time. There are more suicides during Christmas time than any other time of the year. It is estimated that it's the most difficult time. It's the most frustrating time. It is the most stressful time of the year. Sure, there are wonderful parts about it. Sure, there are some great things about Christmas that we all love. And sometimes it is wonderful. But if we really want to be truthful about it, it is very stressful. And sometimes it is very frustrating And it is very hard on some families because of unrealistic expectations. It's very difficult. You see, the angel showed up on the Judean hillside. You know the story. 
the angel show up, showed up on the Judean hillside to a bunch of shepherds. And the angel began to sing a song that they rehearsed in the choir room of heaven. And they begin to sing, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. That was the song that was sung 2,000 years ago. Peace on earth and goodwill to all men. You see, that's what makes Christmas wonderful is this delusion that we all have peace. It's the delusion that we all can sit down at the family table and not argue. It's, it's the delusion that we all really love each other when we really can't stand each other at the table. You know what I'm saying? It's this delusion that everybody's wonderful and everybody's okay and there's peace and there's love and there's family time. But that's a fairy tale. You know and I know that that doesn't always happen. Oh, yes, I know that there are some families that's more dysfunctional than others. But if we all want to be truthful, there's a little bit of dysfunction in all of our families. Somebody should just help the pastor out and say, or at least wink at me and say, I know you're telling the truth. There's a little dysfunction in a lot of our families. You see, John Lennon years ago wrote that song, uh, This is Christmas, War is Over. Well, that, that is a pack of lies right there. You know, well, how does the song go? This is, this is, what, how does it go? War is over. This is Christmas. You know, you listen to this song that John Lennon wrote, and it's, it's a fairy tale. Of course we want to live in a world where there's no war and it's peace. Peace and love and family, that's what makes it wonderful, but sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, it's not wonderful. We, we want to get the perfect gift, but yet... Sometimes we're disappointed because we don't get the perfect response. And so we leave frustrated and aggravated, and sometimes we have unrealistic expectations. We, we go in debt buying gifts to please people, to keep up with the Joneses, and, and it just is a cycle in our life. And sometimes I'm convinced that our society loves Chris, uh, Christmas, and they really do. Christmas is one of the biggest holidays worldwide. It brings in more money than any other holiday combined. The world loves Christmas. They love that little baby. But when that baby becomes a man and that baby begins to expect something of you, we reject Jesus. Jesus is okay as long as He's in the manger. Jesus is okay as long as we can uh, you sing our songs. and You know, a baby doesn't expect anything of us. But when that baby becomes a man and demands obedience from us and demands that we live right, we want to reject Jesus. And that's what, that's what happens to our society. We, I don't think that we really understand Christmas. I, I don't think we do. And, I, and we live in a society is when the preacher gets up to preach about Christmas, seasoned Christians want to turn the pastor off because we're like, we've heard it year after year. It's the same story. It's Mary, it's Joseph, it's the angels, it's God coming to earth. I've heard it before. What else? Can you say something new? And then we have new Christians that are not familiar with the story. And listen, I, I've not, I've, I'm not here today to try to tell you a new revelation or try to dig so deep in Scripture that I get stuck or try to tell you something that's so mystical that it's going to cause you to ooh and off this morning because I brought out something that you've never heard before. I'm going to bring out just simple truth because that's what Christmas is about. It's about fundamental truth. It's about doctrine. It's about the incarnation of Jesus. And it is really surprising to me that 33% of the church is biblically illiterate. So for us to sit and think that we all know the story is not true. 
There's lots of people that's biblically illiterate that sits in our seats Sunday after Sunday. You see, the angel came to, uh, the angel came to Mary and said to her, she, he said, you will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, that is the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is redemption. The message of Christmas is hope. The message of Christmas is reconciliation. You will bring forth a son. You will bring forth a baby. You will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save us from our sins. That is Christmas. That is hope. And the story of Christmas points to the fact that there is still hope and there is forgiveness and there is reconciliation. If you look in the Bible, God has always, God has always been trying to redeem humanity. In the garden, in the garden, He walked with us. He was trying to redeem us. In the ark of Noah, God protected His people. In the temple, God would sanctify His people. In the lion's den, God would intervene for His people. In the fiery furnace, God stood with His people. In the preaching of prophets, God sought to redeem us and to rescue us and to revive us. But in the Christmas story, God became one of us. He still believes in humanity. He still believes in you and He still believes in us. No matter how bleak it looks, no matter how bad it looks, I am convinced that the Christmas story reveals to us that God still believes in us. God became man. Oh, it was a holy night for sure. Mary, who history tells us was around 16 years of age, and history tells us that Joseph was an older man. Here, Mary, who is a virgin, who never been with a man before, who is just a Nazarite girl, who is doing her own thing, and one day an angel says, you're going to be a world changer. You're going to make history. And you're going to conceive and bear a son. And this son is going to save his people from their sins. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Christmas for you. It's not about the lights. It's not about candy. It's not about family time. It's not about, it's not about gifts. And it's not about dinners. And it's not about all of this pomp and circumstance. It's about redemption. It is about salvation. It is about reconciliation. We were alienated from God. But through His sacrifice and through His blood, we were brought near to the cross of Christ. We were outside of the commonwealth of Israel. But through His sacrifice, sacrifice and through His blood, you and I were brought near to the blood of Jesus. We were lost and undone, but through the blood of Jesus, we were brought near to the cross of Christ. Can somebody say amen? See, Christmas is not about all of this. Christmas is about redemption, sacrifice, reconciliation, and redemption. That's what Christmas is about. And I believe that Christ's point today can rejoice. We can rejoice because He has delivered us from the evil one. We can rejoice because it's Christmas. He has crushed the head of the power of sin and slavery. We can rejoice today because it's Christmas. Because He has crushed the head and bruised the head of the serpent. We can rejoice today because He has broken the power of sin. We can rejoice today because He has come to make us free and to make us one and to make us holy with God Almighty. The reason that you and I can stand in this Christmas season with a joyful heart is not 
not because you got everything you wanted under the tree. It's because He became everything you ever needed on a tree. And we can raise our hands and rejoice that it is Christmas. He has broken the power of sin and slavery. God has become one of us. God has become one of us. That is the mystery of Christmas. God left His divinity, came to earth, and wrapped Himself in mortal flesh. Was born of a virgin. It's no wonder when she gave birth, angels showed up on the Judean hillside to sing happy birthday to Him. Because that's what you do for a king. You sing happy birthday. Shepherds in disillusionment, disconfusion, trying to understand what's going on. And the angel said, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. The Bible says those shepherds ran with haste and they found a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Why was he wrapped in swaddling clothes? Because the swaddling clothes represented his helplessness. He became helpless so that He might bring help to you. They wrapped Him in swaddling clothes because they didn't have doctors and nurses like they have today. Diseases were rampant. And so to save the child from disease, they quickly, after it came out of the birth canal, wrapped it like a mummy. Wrapped it real tight with swaddling clothes so that child could live and be preserved from diseases. But yet that is a symbol of His helplessness. He, the God of the universe, was helpless, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And yet, the story don't end there. You fast forward it 30-some years. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea is taking his body down from the cross. And when they took him down from the cross, what did they do? They wrapped his body with linen cloth and stuck it in a tomb. Because even at his birth he was wrapped, and even at his death he was wrapped. He was wrapped to show us that he was helpless, so that he might become our help and our strength. He was wrapped with your sin. He was wrapped with your shame. He was wrapped with your guilt. He was wrapped with your frustration. He was wrapped with your addiction. He was wrapped with your confusion. He was wrapped so that at Christmas time you can be unwrapped by the presence of God. They took his helpless body after it was wrapped in linen cloth and stuck it in a manger, a barn. He wasn't born in a Holiday Inn. He was born in a manger. He was born in a barn. And if you know anything about Jewish society, Jesus was born in a cave. Because caves were usually a barn that fed animals. It was a feeding trough. Jesus was stuck in a, a round stone-looking thing. It was a feeding trough. Jesus was placed in a, fe- a stoned feeding trough. The same thing that animals would feed from Jesus was born. He was laid in a manger. And yet, He was laid in a feeding trough, a stoned feeding trough, 
And yet at His death, at His very death, He was laid in a stone grave. What are you saying? I am saying that at His birth, it was a feeding trough. He was laid in a feeding trough so that He may feed you. Jesus told His own disciples, I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. And whoever eats of my flesh shall have eternal life. Jesus was laid in a feeding trough so that He may become food for you and I. Jesus said to His disciples, you, you think you had true manna that came down from heaven. You thought Moses gave you the true food, but I am your true food. Jesus was laid in a feeding trough so that He might become food for you. Jesus became that helpless baby so that He may bring help to you. He was laid in a feeding trough so that He may become food for you. You see, I often thought, why in the world such a marvelous story? We look at it looking back from the story from 2,000 years ago. How could it be that such people would miss the story? How could people not see what God was doing 2,000 years ago? Have you ever thought about it? Why did they miss it? I mean, isn't there something they could have seen that would have indicated that God was moving in their midst, but they missed it? The Bible says in John chapter number 1, John 1 verse 11, look at the Scripture. You don't have to turn there to be behind me, but look at it. John 1 and verse 11. John 1 and verse 11. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. They didn't receive Him. They missed Christmas. 2,000 years ago, they missed Christmas. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus came home for Christmas and they didn't receive Him. I'm coming home for Christmas. He sure did. Jesus came home for Christmas. What was home? He came to us. This was His home. This was His dwelling for 33 and a half years. He came home for Christmas, and yet they didn't receive Him. Why? I have to ask myself, why did they not receive Him? I mean, I tried to think to myself, if I was there, maybe if I was one of the shepherds, certainly I would maybe discern that what was happening was something marvelous, something mystical, something beyond imagination. But I don't even know if any of them really realized what was going on. And you know, the kings of the earth, King Herod, Caesar Augustus, you know, Caesar Augustus sitting in his palace, he was the most free man in all of the world. He had the most profound army that anybody could ever have. It's no wonder a host of angels showed up. Isn't that interesting that the writer is telling us that Caesar Augustus wants a census of the whole world? He's sitting in his palace counting his people. He's sitting in his palace 
counting all the thousands of people that's loyal to Him. He's counting His army. And yet the writer is saying a true king is being born and there is a legion of angels showing up and this host of angels has more in its army than Caesar Augusta ever dreamed about having. Why did they miss it? You know why they missed it. They missed Christmas 2,000 years ago and there are some people that's missing Christmas today. You know why they miss it? Number one, they missed it because Christ came as a child. He didn't come as a deliverer. He didn't come as a a reformer. He came as a baby. Just a regular child. And there is no Scripture to indicate what this Jesus did in His childhood. One Scripture at the age of 12 years old. The Bible is silent. Jesus obviously probably had a normal childhood just like your child. A normal childhood. It wasn't to the age of 30 that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And a dove descended from heaven and God spoke and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus probably had a normal childhood. We don't know. There is no Scripture evidence to tell us what He did as a child. But they missed Christmas because He came as a child. You know, if I was God, I would send my Son as a Redeemer, riding on a horse, ready to take over. You know, if I was God, I would send my son as a, a reformer, ready to get the job done. But God sent His Son as a child, and so therefore they did not expect it. They was expecting a king. They was expecting a political ruler. But it came as a child. And why as a child? Because I believe that children in general represent the glory of God. Children represent the glory of God. If you are a mother and a father this morning, I'm sure you can sympathize with me. I'm sure you've had bad days before. And you've come home from work and your child jumps up on your lap and hugs you and tells you they love you. Or your grandchild will jump up on your lap and tell you how much they appreciate you or how much they love you or, or, or whatever. There's something about children that causes us to see the unknown. There's something about children that makes us think about God. Am I right about it? Children, I believe, are the expression of God, the glory of God. And God sent His Son as a child because I believe that children are important. Do you know that in the Old Testament, the Canaanites had many different gods? You know, the Canaanites, God would tell His people, I don't want you to marry them, I don't want you to associate with them. Because if you get entangled with them, they're going to lead you astray. And the Canaanites had a god called Moloch. Everybody shout Moloch. Everybody shout Moloch. You see, the Bible says in Leviticus 18.21, look at this. Leviticus 18.21, the Bible says, and ye shall not let any of your descendants, now the word descendants there is, could be translated the Hebrew word children or child. Do not let any of your children pass through the fire to Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord, for I am Lord. The Canaanites, this this is what they would do. Pastor Brandon, if you could come here for a moment. The Canaanites worshipped the god Moloch, and Moloch was a a tall statue. And Moloch would have his hands out like this, and behind him there was this hole that they could put uh, wood and fire in that would heat up the statue. And so when that statue was heated up, 
the hands of Moloch would be heated up and the children, the Canaanites would take their God, or the, the Canaanites would take their child and the Canaanites would give it to the priest, their child to the priest, and they would stick the child on the hands of Moloch and they would beat the drums. Sean, come here. Chris, come here. I want you to use you as an illustrator. Come up here. Come up here, Joe. I want to use you too. And then I'm going to give you a picture of what happened. So I want you all to stand, behind, stand beside of him. I want you to take your hands and I want you to start beating them. So the priest would take, the priest would take their baby. Go on, beat them faster. And take the baby and put it on the hands of Moloch. The baby would scream and cry, and as the baby screamed and cry, they beat it hard. And they would beat it so hard it would drown out the cry of the baby. So the parents who was offering the baby to the God wouldn't hear the baby cry because the drums of the priest would drown out the crying of the baby. Thank you, gentlemen. The Lord said, you are not to let your child go through the fires of Moloch. Leviticus 20, verse 2. Leviticus 20, verse number 2. This was the word of the Lord. Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever the children of Israel and the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants, the word descendants is children, to Moloch shall be put to death. 2 Kings 23, verse 10. You see in 2 Kings 23, Josiah, which was a king, was trying to overthrow this, this, this uh, Canaan god of Moloch. And you see where they would put their sons and their daughters through the fires of Moloch. Now ladies and gentlemen, what is pastor trying to say? I am trying to say that we are in an epidemic this morning. According to the World Health Organization, according to the World Health Organization, there are at least 40 to 50 million babies being aborted every year. 40 to 50 to 40 to 50 million babies being aborted every year and 125,000 abortions per day. They are being aborted in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, we do not hear the cries of our children anymore. We don't hear the cries of the abortion anymore. Do you know why? Because we are caught up in the sound of our own life. We're caught up in the clutter of our own life. We're caught up in the clutter of your own routine. You're caught up in the clutter of your own family. You're caught up in the clutter of your own job. You can't hear the boarded babies crying today because we are in the midst of noise. And today, ladies and gentlemen, I am crying aloud from this pulpit and I'm telling us to wake up from our slumber, wake up from our sleep. Children are being aborted and we've got to stand up and say something about it. I don't know why you sat there and looked at me this morning. You could have shaken and say amen. I said uh, 50, 50 million babies are being aborted every year. Does that not wake us up? Does it not shake us? The prophet said one of the things that God hates is hands that shed innocent blood. You see, we've become, so dis we've become so desensitized to it 
that pictures no longer move us, sermons don't move us. We shrug our hands as if, well, there's nothing I could do about it. Nothing I could do about it. Just like the Canaanites stuck their baby in the hands of Moloch, parents would leave. They never heard their baby cry because the priests would beat the drums even louder. And God said to His own children, don't you dare participate in the sins of Moloch. Don't you dare do the same practices as they did in Canaan land. Don't you do it. Don't you think like them. Don't you do it. Don't, don't, don't you even conduct business like them. Don't even marry them because they will lead your heart away from God. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying He came as a child. And children are the expression of the glory of God. Children are important. Somebody asked me, do you care if a baby cries in church? Of course I don't care if they cry in church. It shows life. Can I hear an amen? They miss Christmas because He came as a baby. And what did Herod do? Herod said, let's kill all the children from two years of age down. Sounds like America, don't it? Same tactics. Let's get rid of the children. Let's bring extinction to the next generation. Let's offer our children to the hands of Moloch. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there we don't have Moloch today. We don't actually do child sacrifice today. We would scoff at that. But children are being murdered in the hands of doctors and abortion tables across the world. Number two, why did they miss Christmas? They miss Christmas because His witness wasn't wonderful. His witness wasn't wonderful. Well, who was His witness? This I'm almost done in closing. Who was His witness? His witness was John the Baptist. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible says in John chapter number 1, John chapter number 1, the Bible says, uh, verse number 15, John 1 verse 15, John bore witness of Him and cried saying, this is whom I've said. John was the one to proclaim witness to Jesus. So why did they miss Christmas? They missed Christmas because He came as a child. Number two, they missed Christmas because His witness wasn't wonderful. Well, who was His witness? John the Baptist. And John the Baptist wasn't wonderful, folks. I mean, he's a man of God. But who wants to listen to a man with eating locusts and wild honey and has camel hair around him? And you know, Who wants to listen to a wild man like that? Who wants to listen to a wild, crazy man like that? He wasn't wonderful. So you're, you're telling me, God, God, you're going to send John the Baptist, a wild man who eats locusts and wild honey, who dresses in camel hair, you're going to use this man as your witness? Yes. And that's why they missed Christmas. Because John the Baptist wasn't what they thought he should be. And isn't that how we operate? Look at Pastor. Isn't that how we operate? 
We don't receive anybody's testimony or their witness unless we can look at their resume first. If I don't know your resume, I'm not going to listen to your witness. Isn't that what we do? Or, or we shy away from people, say, well, I know what you used to do. I know what you used to say. I know who you used to hang out with. And I can't receive your witness. I can't receive what God told you because your resume isn't perfect. Well, I want to let you know that God uses imperfect people as His witness. God uses people who are not perfect as His witness. And you've got to be careful shunning people because they don't appear like they are perfect. I was in a New Year's Eve service. Oh, about, this was at my first church. It was December 31st, I think it was around 2000 and, uh, I don't know, six or seven. And I was up at the altar praying and, and I had a, a guest speaker there. His name was Brother Green. He was sitting beside of me with his wife and uh, we were praying in the Spirit and a woman comes forward and the woman taps me on the shoulder and said, Pastor, I have a word for this man. The man standing behind me, the guest speaker. I said, okay. She then looks at the man, and you were there, right, Sean? She looks at the man and says, uh, man of God, the word of the Lord to you is the next year will be the most difficult time of your life. She says, is your marriage strong? And the preacher said, yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> he says, well, get ready. You're getting ready to go through a storm, but God will bring you through and you'll be stronger than you've ever been. So after church, the pastor, we mean him, was talking about it, and I said to the pastor, well, that's of the devil. Don't receive it. I, honestly, I said that. Don't receive it. Let me pray over you. And I prayed over, I bind every demonic devil in the name of Jesus. You're going to have a year of jubilee. You're going to walk in the fullness of God. You're going to experience everything God has for you. And he's just praying and crying. He says, thank you, pastor. I receive it. Well, guess what? He had the most horrible year he's ever had. Actually, his wife ended up dying. Very bad. Horrible. And I remember him coming to me crying, saying, Pastor, we rejected that word because we didn't think, we didn't, the woman didn't look to par. I mean, she didn't. She, she didn't act to par. She looked weird. And we just rejected it. She says, he says, I've been through the most horrible time. And actually, we've talked about it since then. He's remarried. Wonderful. I mean, he, it's, it's glorious what God has done in his life. I, if I had time, I'd tell you everything that God has done in his life. It's, it's a glorious story. But that shows you that sometimes you've got to learn that the witness of God doesn't come always through perfect people. And they don't come the way you think they should. They don't dress the way they think they should, or you think they should. They may look weird, but sometimes God uses John the Baptist's, come on, to give you a word. And sometimes that witness isn't wonderful, but it is the word of God. And if you need to pray, come on, somebody. Sometimes you've got to receive the word of God. His witness wasn't perfect. Listen, if you've got to check somebody's resume to receive their testimony, then that. It's a red flag. Number three, the Messiah was manifested in a manger. Number one, 
Christ came as a child. That's why they missed it. They missed it because His witness wasn't wonderful. Number three, they missed it because the Messiah was manifested in a manger. Not a temple, not a palace, but a manger. A manger. Why a manger? Because a manger is messy. A manger stinks. A manger is a messy place. And God was born in a messy place. And that tells us that God shows up in the messy places of our lives. Sometimes you've got to, in the middle of your mess, sometimes you've got to bend over and wipe the hay off of his face to see God. But sometimes God is in the middle of your mess and you don't even know he's there because there's too much hay around his face. He's there. Now look at this. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you all something? Get this. The angel showed up. Glory to God in the highest. The, they showed up to shepherds abiding in the field. Is that right? Is that what the story says? Can somebody help the preacher out? Is that what the story says? The Bible says... Luke 2, verse 12. Luke 2:12. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. Now this is powerful. I'm about to shout because I love this. And suddenly there was a, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Okay? Verse 14, glory to God in the highest peace on earth. Blah, blah. 15. So it was, while the angels was gone away from the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem. Now get this. Shepherds were in the field with their sheep. Somebody say sheep. Everybody say sheep. So you have shepherds living in the field with their sheep. Somebody say sheep. Because verse number 8, Luke 2 verse 8, and there was in the same countries living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Look at verse 8. So shepherds are in the field. They're living in the field, with dirty sheep. I'm going to say that again. They're not visiting sheep. The Bible says they were living in the field. Let me go over here and see if you all get it. Shepherds living in the field with dirty sheep. I'm going to see if you all got it. Shepherds living in the field with what? Is sheep clean? Okay, shepherds living in the field with dirty sheep in the mess. And shepherds were not high-class folks. They're not the elite of society. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. So they're in the field living with dirty sheep. And Brother Need, this is what happens. Verse 14, And suddenly there was an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts singing glory to God in the highest. Stop. Shepherds 
living in the field with dirty sheep and the glory of the Lord showed up. I'm going to say it one more time. Shepherds living, not visiting, living in the field with dirty sheep, Pastor David, and all of a sudden, an angel showed up with glory in the field. So what did that tell me? Your conditions don't have to be perfect for God to show up. Hallelujah! Somebody help this preacher say amen. That means it can be dirty. It can be filthy. You can be imperfect. You've messed up. You say, you see, Barbara said, Pastor, when I was getting ready to baptize, I'm not even worthy. That's all right, Barbara. None of us is worthy. We're all shepherds living in the field with dirty things in our life. But the glory of the Lord still can show up. Somebody wave your hand and say amen. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do everything right. It's not about perfection. It is about progress. And I'm the worst at it because I'm a perfectionist. I mean, I'm bad. I have OCD. I even pray. I even search the Bible to make sure I'm praying right. And if I'm not praying right, I'll pray it again. Pray it again. Make sure I address all the Trinity and address all the triune God and make sure I'm doing it all biblically correct. Got to make sure, I even make sure I tithe to the penny. I write it down in my book. Did I tithe 10%? And I make sure I do that. And you know, the Lord, now this, I'm, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad. And the Lord spoke to me and said, listen, son, even you doing things right to the T is still filthy in my eyes. And I hear an amen. You can do everything. You can do everything right and still not do it right. You can follow everything to the T and still be wrong. And that is what we call grace, church. God's unmerited favor poured out upon the undeserving. Even when I did wrong, the angel said, you are to call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God is tabernacled. God pinched His tent in the middle of His people. God is dwelling in the middle of His people. That's who we serve. In the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle and a temple that God dwelt in. But now God's saying, I don't need a temple or a tabernacle. I myself is going to be the temple and the tabernacle. I am going to dwell with you. Name Him Emmanuel. God is tabernacled among you. God is living among you. When I'm sick, He is Emmanuel. When I'm depressed, He is Emmanuel. When I'm down and out, He's Emmanuel. When I think I can't make it any longer, He is Emmanuel. He is the one who walks with me. He is the one who is tabernacle among me. God is with us. That's the story. In the middle of the manger, in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the urine, God is tabernacle in the mess. Hallelujah. And that's why you and I can stand this morning and lift our hands because He is tabernacled. He is templed in this mess.
Hallelujah. I said, Hallelujah. I said, Hallelujah. Somebody just act like you're praising God this morning and say, I thank you that you loved me even when I wasn't perfect. Hallelujah. You don't have to be perfect. Somebody shout amen. Somebody lift your hands and say, thank God, thank God, thank God. Hallelujah. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because I know it's true. So I'm not losing my mind because I'm repeating it. I'm repeating it because I know it's good. Noah was a drunk man and God used him. Abraham was too old and God used him. Isaac was a daydreamer and God used him. Jacob was a liar and God used him. Leah wasn't blessed with good looks, but God used her. Joseph was abused and God used him. Moses had a stuttering problem and God used him. Gideon was afraid and God used him. Samson was a womanizer and had long hair. Bless his heart. And Rahab, Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy, you know, they were too young and single. God couldn't use them. David had an affair and committed murder. Elisha was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist was weird and ate bugs and locusts. Peter denied Christ. Disciples fell asleep while they prayed. Was hot-headed and hot-tempered and cutting ears off of servants. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was single and religious. And Lazarus was completely dead. And nowhere do I find any of these people being perfect. Noah gave witness that the rain was coming, but he was an imperfect man and drank a little alcohol. All right? Abraham was too old, but God used him to give, give witness that his seed was going to be blessed in the earth and that he was going to give his people a land and they was going to demonstrate that there's one God. Jacob was going to be used of God, and he was a liar. He gave witness. Gideon gave witness of the power and the provision of God, but he, he was afraid. Rahab gave witness to the redemptive work of Christ, and yet she was a prostitute. David gave witness to the throne of God and the, throne, the, the lineage of Jesus Christ, and yet he was afraid and committed murder. Isaiah was a prophetic preacher to the nations, and yet he preached naked. Jonah gave witness to the redemptive power of God through repentance, and yet he ran from God. John the Baptist gave witness to Jesus Christ and yet he ate bugs. What are you saying? Sometimes the witness is imperfect, but God uses every one of them. Uses every one of them. Don't you ever listen to the lie of the enemy that God can't use you. Break it off of your mind and heart. God is looking for someone to use. See? I remember when I was 16 years of age at a youth camp. I was crying at the front. I was crying so bad I was shaking because I felt the power of God. I remember a preacher come behind me, laid his hands on my head. As I was crying and shaking, I was asking God, God, use me please. Wherever you want to go, whatever you want me to do, if you want me to go across the world, you want me to give it up all, I'll just do whatever you want me to do. I want to be used of you. 
preacher came behind me, laid hands on me. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, son, you don't have to beg God to use you. God already sees your heart and He's already using you. I got up from that altar and I realized that I don't have to beg God to bless me, beg God to use me, beg God to help me. This is a journey and I walk with Christ and as I walk with Christ, I'm obedient to Christ and He will show me as I walk with Him. And I'm asking you, would you walk with Christ? Would you follow Christ with everything you've got? Would you give everything you have to Christ? 